Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Hi, Tony Hackett is my name and I'm your host at the Startups Roundtable where we uncover learnings, experiences and insights from founders and those involved with the startup ecosystem. Today I'm joined by Fabian Fischer, who is the founder and MD of MassUp, which is an insurtech startup delivering a one-stop solution for online sales of specialty insurances. Fabian has over 20 years of experience in digital production, marketing and communication, and especially in automotive and insurance. These experiences gave us a rich backdrop for this discussion. So let's hear from Fabian. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm Fabian, the founder of Mesa. Uh, Mesa is a insurtech concentrated on small item insurance, and we make that uh, available instantly with our white label solution for e-commerce, retail, and other partners. My background is that we have over 20 years a digital agency in Germany and China. So we built for the last 15, 20 years digital applications for insurers like Zurich, Allianz and others. So that's in very short my background. The background itself, though, it is one that is surfacing through your company at a very interesting time. When I looked at your site and I saw that there were a wide range of different items and ways of grouping products, I thought working from home, maybe it's a time when people are starting to think about managing insurance with their products and contents in a totally different way because they're having to set up their homes very differently. Are you seeing a change in, in behavior and trends in your marketplace? It depends a bit. So yes, in general, we're covering all kinds of items from smartphone, electronics, household appliances, etc. And yes, indeed, in that time, you're cleaning up your house and your insurances maybe as well. So that is maybe the time, but not totally the time you go out and buy new stuff because you can't go out in many areas of the world. And um, it's very diverse. So we are in Germany, but Mainly, we are concentrated on foreign markets. So we are in South America and starting now in Asia. So there's a totally different situation with these lockdowns and how people can buy stuff and do that. And yes, a smartphone is an important part uh, of your life still, but it's maybe not the best time to buy a new expensive smartphone. You have other priorities. So it's still going, uh, but it's maybe different from country to country. Fabian, you just touched on a couple of experiences and you packed them into a very simple sentence. You spoke about expanding into different international markets. Could you maybe take me a little bit behind that and share some of your learnings and experiences with South America and with Asia as well? Our market of small item insurance is a growing market all over the world. People buy more and more stuff. They love their smartphone. They love their electronic bike and all these kind of stuff. We have a lot of growing sharing economy, e-scooters, for example. And all these are new items to insure, and they're often not included in your standard insurances. So there's a need because they that's personal to, to yourself that you want to have an insurance in that. And that's a global trend, and you have that in, in many markets around the world. And so what we're doing is delivering a solution to do that in every market. But for sure, it's very different insurance behavior in each market and very different channels. You have some that do it totally on mobile. Some are still totally do it offline with your broker or buy it in a shop. 
uh, or others are used to do it online. So uh, you have to get away in each country. It's a bit different. Uh, some markets like, for example, Chile is a bit more retail orientated. And in, in Asia, it's more mobile. So you have different aspects to all of that. And you have to find out in each market. And besides the technical stuff and all the regulation, what is a bit different in every market for us is more interesting how the behavior is different. And there you have totally different aspects. So an e-scooter is in Europe a big topic. In some other markets, it's coming new. Or a pet insurance is a, in, in Europe, it's a product that is totally normal and you have uh, several products. But in China, it's a growing market now. So you have to deep dive into your customers in each market and then find out what is the right product for that area. And then our specialty is to make it individual. So really bound to that market and to that customer behavior. And so you're doing more first research, more service and getting into the customer's mind and then develop the right product for the market, even if the basis is overall maybe the same. It's impossible to think about our lives without thinking about data and thinking about personalization, think about digital channels. When you look at the data, I sometimes think about it like the opening scene of Star Wars. When you're sitting in the cinema and the lights are just ripping by, there is so much data. How do you work out where the fence should be so that you can actually get to making a decision rather than just being consumed by the data? For us, the data is, first of all, a, a learning because the market, you have a lot of data for classic insurances, but not for these small items. They are normally too small to really have a segmentation. So for us, the biggest and first step is to learn about these kind of insurances and about the loss ratios, about the behavior, et cetera, in detail, and then to develop better products based on that. And the other point is, and that's a, a thing what is coming more and more, is a fragmentation. So do you want to maybe on demand buy a fraction of these coverage or maybe for a, a certain time or usage base? So and to do that, you really have to go deep into the data analysis and based on that, offer a new kind of product. And that's where you see on the market now coming these short-term usage-based toggle on, toggle off insurances coming more and more. I think that is a direct reaction to different user behavior where they see situation-based, I want to have a different kind of insurance. And that's you solved by data in the end, first by learning and then implemented into your product uh, transactions. That's very interesting. I wrote a book a few years ago, now, maybe it's 10 years ago, it was called The Intention Economy. And it was about rather than you're getting the attention of a consumer. It's about the consumer stating their intention. What you just described is set up to deal with the intention of the consumer. That dynamism is interesting. The point is you can develop the technically the dynamism very easy. So that is there or very easy. It's a tough word, but for, for working 20 years with technology, so you can do it so simply. The other point is then to dynamize the product is for the insurance industry very, very difficult at the moment. Uh, because you don't know how much premiums you have, how the behavior is, et cetera. That's a learning curve at the moment. But the third part of this attention is to get the customer at this point where he needs it. So because insurance is still a product where you don't ask for, you have to get convinced that you need it. So and then that makes us, leads us again to e-commerce, to retail, where you have the chance to explain the customer, if you buy a 4,000 euro electronic bike, you should better insure it. And we have a very flexible insurance for you. So the, these three parts, technology, data, and, and flexible products have to be combined with the right point when we can sell these kind of flexible insurances. Do you start to find a different challenge then 
or an opportunity with customer loyalty and how you maintain that that stickiness with the, with your customers? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, the customer loyalty is if you say about toggle on toggle off insurances or maybe usage based, you just have them for a moment. Maybe you can lose some kind of loyalty. On the other hand, I would believe if they experience that this works very well for them, why shouldn't they come back? So I think it's a different kind of loyalty where you maybe not have the one-year contract as you know it, but you um, maybe can win them for other um, situations where they then see it was a good experience last time, I can do that again. So I don't believe that is a loss of loyalty if as soon as the people sense that they need an insurance, but it's maybe a different loyalty and you have to work harder a bit to stay in, in the market. It's interesting. Just as you're describing that, you made me think about my relationship with Amazon. And to call myself an Amazon customer is true. To say that Amazon's part of every day for me is not true. But there are certain things that it is my default first port of call. So I suppose that it's about having a consistent experience, having a good experience. And simplification, I think, is what we're looking for mostly. Actually, as you describe Amazon, you, you remember probably very good logistics or you can send it back all these kind of stuff, and then you do it with another trader and it's maybe not working so well like they do it. And so that's what you have in mind. So you maybe you see it's maybe a bit more expensive, but I go back there. And it's a bit the same, but for an insurance product, then in that sense would come as well that you offer a good service. And that's a digital process at the moment as well to deliver really a good customer service, a good claim service, a reliable service on that as well to get and stay in the mind of the um, insured and uh, get their loyalty. So yes, there's some similarities you can compare. You've actually surfaced something that I experienced very recently with Amazon. And I purchased something that was directly from Amazon that had to be returned. And I also purchased something through one organization that was using Amazon as the platform. And I had to return that as well. They were totally different experiences. And I remember which one was absolutely frictionless, seamless, painless. And yeah, that that does stay in your mind forever. When you have just shared, so thank you for sharing uh, some insights around different geographies. You also went through a seed funding round. I wonder if you could share some of your learnings from that, even though it was a couple of years ago, that if there was another innovator entrepreneur that was listening to this, what would be some tips and thoughts you would leave with them? Well, first, especially investment space. And if you're new as a startup, you should very listen to people who did that a few times and take every chance to talk to people and get their experience. I wouldn't call it advice, but to hear their stories and to hear how they do it. Because for us as an agency, 20 years doing business, we were always looking for profitable business and our numbers should do the talking. But for an investment, you have to learn to shape your new company that has no numbers, that has no tractions, and to tell that stories by investment numbers and in, in, in figures in Excel sheets, etc., and to get the story told. That is something new to many people. So they, I think uh, besides you have probably qualities in knowing your industry, you have qualities in doing the product design, etc., but that one can be new to you. So I really would advise at the very beginning to understand the story and the, the makeup from other startups and to get their experience and to get really know how to tell a story by, by figures and not by nice pictures or by your products. So it is an elementary tough for topic for, for startups. And uh, so you should, from the beginning, do some, some experience in there. It was a learning curve for us as well. Do you remember clearly the first pitch meeting that you had? Yeah, well, the very, very first, but we started with a client we, we already worked for. So that was a very pitch, but it was indeed telling them something new, what is innovative for them four years ago. That, that was 
again a kind of pitch and then we were lucky to do accelerate a very in the beginning with startup bootcamp so we were the very first intro tech cohort in london and uh, so there you had to pitch in five minutes in three minutes in one minute so that's a exercise uh, in the end you find it funny and you have fun on it but uh, in the beginning you really have to learn to focus and to bring your story over in a very short of time so and then you pitch all the day um, and that's a good good exercise. Well, indeed, you have to do it all the time. Every introduction starts with whatever, 30 seconds, 60 seconds and bring it to the point, get the people interested. And then you can always go into details. But uh, that's that's a standard topic for, for startups. And that's why all the accelerators, for example, or incubators do a lot of emphasizing on this one. What would you say to a, an entrepreneur thinking about an accelerator program must do, should do? Possibly, what would be your guidance and your recommendation? It depends on your status of experience, especially for whom starts a first startup or is really beginning in that. Then it's a really good helping and learning experience. So, and I think then it makes sense to do uh, a one that fits for your industry and go in there. We were a bit more experienced in product, etc. So that was not our main thought, but I'm still found it valuable because we, until today we have connection from these business. And for example, we started in Germany, always had Germany in mind, and the London experience directly brought us onto international track that we make use from from today and we wouldn't have done that without it so there's a certain sense you should always there's many uh, programs at the moment you should always think what you want to have out of it you have a clear idea of that and talk to the people but in general a intense two months three months uh, working relationship it's good for network it's good for other thoughts on your product uh, especially if you do that the first time or at the very beginning uh, i would would recommend that from your own working practices and the way that you structure your days, how do you think about it now or how are you doing that now in this COVID time versus how you were doing it 12 months ago? Well, the COVID time is for everybody a kind of struggle for sure. And most business are, are thrown a bit backwards. For me, especially, it was I'm doing mainly the sales top. And for me, for example, London was a great hub because there were all people in one place and with one day I could do so many meetings. Yes, for sure. The people are available by web meetings, etc. But I'm missing that, and I think for some sales aspects, it's uh, simply would be better if I could talk to people in person. On the other hand, it gave more availability, and on an international scale, all people get used to work by web meetings, and some processes will be faster in the end. So some decisions were made because insurers saw the need to directly do something digital and the process what normally would have taken six or nine months was now two or three months. So we had the good and the bad side on that. And so that's the experience from that. Uh, I can't say the business is getting better because everybody's now available. That's not the point, uh, but it's not, not getting uh, totally worse. And my day is for sure, as we work from Asia to South America, we have all time zones. Australia, we are talking now as well at the moment. So we start at six and in the morning, our time, and then you end, what about in eight, eight hour time with the calls because you have to cover all the time zones. But that's, that's, uh, that's an interesting part and really a, a valuable part to learn all of these cultures. And um, that can be very good done by, by web meetings for sure. I share a lot of your perspective there. I'm also in a sales business development role with a technology company. And Whilst there's a whole efficiency that comes with this rhythm that we have around using the technology, there is that definite gap of being able to read the room for all participants. And whilst there are a lot of things that we can do online, I'm trying to work out how we truly establish trust without actually sitting in the room with a person. I haven't got that worked out yet. 
I'm not quite sure totally. I'm, and I'm a bit older, as you see on my, my gray hair. So I'm, I'm a bit used to this old style and where we see we have a personal meeting. I try to reflect and see for sure the efficiency. And there were many meetings you didn't need and you don't have to fly around for that. And if that stops or goes down, happy to do that. And if that is a breaking point now, I think there's a lot of positive things on that. On the other hand, for certain business, like I said before, a personal meeting can be very efficient. Flying to London one hour, staying a day, have eight to 10 meetings and then go back. That is efficient. And it's, that's the other point is that you maybe certain partners where you do a relationship, you want to meet them personally. And you have another impression if you meet somebody in person. I still believe that. And so that hasn't to be done that you fly every week then to Australia and to do the big stuff as we did it be maybe before. But there are certain points where you have to meet personally and to convince. And even for presentations, if I do a pitch online, yes, I can do that. And for sure, you can meet hundreds of people, not only maybe 20. So that's the advantage. But doing a personal show, besides, it's much more fun to do it in, in person. And the other point is, I think that gives another impression to everybody if you're there as a person to speak to them. So force them back, some, some positive things. Uh, we will learn on it, but uh, I don't want to exchange it totally to personal me. I agree with your perspective. I wonder if you could move into a, a strategy perspective now for me. And when you start to think about building out a strategic plan, do you start to think beyond two years now? How, how do you chunk it down? And where do you look for trends and data that help you form that strategy? The strategic plan we shape is uh, three to five years. So five very far away in our times today, but uh, we have a, a, that's more the visionary part and three years is a concrete plan. And with them, we break down every year. And for sure, the next 12 months are in a more detailed step-by-step plan where we have different milestones and see reach, reach, reached or not reached and change it. So that's, that's the one point where we have a clear idea in mind. The other point is to evaluate for sure all the time you Anyhow, should have a, a steady research on your competition uh, or crunch base, logged in, whatever, see what others do, uh, look the trends. We have a part in our agency to look always what's coming up in new trends. What is the things we have people are talking about? So that's the one point. The other point is really to evaluate what does a trend mean for yourself? And uh, we do that not only within the team, but as well with our investor partners. So we have just as investors, people who are from the business, who work with the business, who see a value in our business, where we have a very good working connection as well, where we very openly share and say, that's our point. We have a point here. We have a new trend here. We have a problem here and do regularly meetings where we discuss what should be a addition to our business or not, or how we see things. And I think this evaluation really for yourself, what you, what does it mean for your situation helps you not to run after buzzwords that you don't need, but as well stay focused and uh, maybe see there's a trend, what we don't have, we have to keep up or we have uh, something that fits to that. So again, that needs a good working relationship within your team. That needs a uh, structure to do that. And I would use uh, investors or if you have an advisory board, really actively as a partner to discuss these topics. You've actually led me into a question I'd like to close with today, and that is around mentors and coaches, how you would suggest from your experiences, people would think about looking for mentors and coaches and how to maximize the development and creation of those relationships. 
Well, it's two things, depending on your status. So you have often mentors, for example, in the accelerator programs you see or in your surrounding, and, and that is a very open and the space is there to discuss it. So you, you should use that very intensively. Always means you have to know what you want uh, because they can tell you what, what you don't ask them or normally not. But get into their experience and don't try to convince them from your product, but just hear what they think, what they can tell you, and then try maybe to build it with your system. So yes, uh, use every time to talk when you have them. There are often highly people with many experiences, so you should be uh, open to really listen to them. Uh, the other part is a, a mentor, like partners, like investors uh, that you have in your group. You should see them indeed as a mentor and ask them. And uh, that means from the beginning on that you have a open relationship, not hiding anything you're doing, but we have that point that worked out, that worked not out, what is your opinion? And then get it together. And then that has two aspects. You get a better experience from an outsider, from your business, not not you in your business and don't can get out of it. And the other point, it, it uh, deepens the relationship to him because he's more involved and he is more into your business and helps you more. So, so that has always these two sides and uh, use them whenever you can. By the way, you can always talk as well to, to the competition, to the near or direct competition. So in Germany, we have a lot of insurtechs. We have companies with insurance license. From the outside, it looks always like we're doing the same or overlapping. But in the end, we know each other and you can talk very openly because everybody has its own strategy. We all in the sense of an industry, small companies. It's not it's not a direct concurrency. You can learn from each other as well or talk about corporations more than you think probably. Fabian, thank you. That's a, a wonderful way for us to close the conversation. You've brought some perspectives that are new to the podcast today. So I really appreciate that, being able to give a sense of international expansion. That's the first time I've been able to broach that topic with one of the, the founders I've spoken with. So thank you. Uh, it's been a great conversation. It'd be fantastic to stay in touch. And thanks for taking your time today. Thanks for your interest. What a terrific conversation with Fabian. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And as always, feedback is both welcome and appreciated. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please let me know. And until next time, thanks for listening and bye for now.